All right, well, Acts chapter 24 through 26. I'll put you guys on the spot. Man, I'm putting everybody on the spot today. How many of you guys read Acts 24 through 27? Hey, hey, good participation in church this week. Well done. Now, did you read it just so I would preach shorter? No. Okay, good. First service did. Um, You guys actually read it because you love the Bible. All right, awesome. So here's the deal. We're going to cover it all but I'm not going to read it all word by word. We've been kind of studying Acts, and I've been going word by word. Uh, I'm not going to read every word because I asked you to, but uh, I do want to kind of start and give the setting because I do realize there are some people here that probably didn't know to read it, or you can read it this afternoon, Acts 24 through 26, but it starts right here, okay? 24 verse 1, and after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullius, Tertullius, uh, they laid before the governor um, their case against Paul. And when they had summoned uh, Tertullius, he began to accuse him. So he's accusing Paul. I'm not going to go over everything he accused him of. I just say this. He's a flatterer. Uh, and he's, he's saying actually things that are false about Felix to try to gain, gain favor with Felix. So uh, that, that's enough. And uh, look at verse 10. Uh, Paul replied, knowing that for many years, right, you have been a judge among the nations, I cheerfully make my defense. So he's like, hey, I'm not going to uh, <laughs> pat you on the back because I know your rule isn't that great, but you can verify that it's not more than... 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not uh, find me disputing with anyone or stirring up the crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they uh, now bring up against me. So he's basically like, hey, here's the truth. Twelve. And he's all about the facts, 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 facts. When falsely accused, stick with the facts. But he doesn't just stop with the facts. You know what he's going to do? He's going to share his faith, right? I love that. He's not just like, here's the facts. Okay, can we court adjourned? He's like, no, I got some other things to say to you. Here's my faith. I think that's a good opportunity for us to learn uh, to persist in the gospel. That's the title of the message today. We persist in the gospel. It's not just a one-time thing for us. It's an every day, every breath, every moment thing for us. And so we preach the gospel to ourselves, and we persist in the gospel. Verse 14. Now this I confess to you, that according to the way, okay, the way refers to Jesus. He was the way, the truth, the life. According to the way, which they call a sect, a cult, right? I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. So the law and the prophets, you just need to know this. Paul's not preaching from the New Testament. The New Testament wasn't available. So when he shares the gospel, he's sharing it from the Old Testament right? The law and the prophets. So you can get gospel, you can get right to the gospel from the Old Testament. I want you to know that. Having a hope in God. What is the hope? What is the hope we have in God? Just keep going, okay? Hope, which these men themselves accept, there must be some Pharisees there, that'll give it away a little bit, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So the hope is the resurrection. We have a hope in the resurrection of the dead. We hope, I hope, all of my hope, all of my chips are in on this, 
that one day I will be raised from the dead to see Jesus Christ face to face and that he will say, well done. All my hopes in that. If that's not happening, it's over for me. Is that clear? All right. And so Paul's expressing this and he says, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. That'll be important for later. It's amazing that he can say that. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. That's important as well. He brought an offering. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. The reason that's important is in the Roman government, in the Roman rule, if you made an accusation against somebody, but you couldn't prove it, then you got the punishment. And the guys from Asia were like, I'm not showing up, right? Because they knew they couldn't prove what they, what they were saying. And so they weren't there. And Paul calls them on it. The guys from Asia, where, they grab me in the temple. I don't, I don't know, where are they, right? They're not here. And uh, throw that out, right? In our court of law, that would have been thrown out. And uh, should they have anything against me, okay? Or else, verse 20, let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they have found when I stood, um, they, they found when I stood before the council. So I, they can't even convict me of anything. That's why I'm here, right? Other than this one thing. So this is good, that I cried out while standing among them. So he admits some wrong. He's like, I did kind of like disrupt the court. <laughs> I did kind of like shout something out when I knew I wasn't going to like go the right way. So here's what I shouted out. Uh, It is with respect to the resurrection from the dead that I am on trial before you this day. It's all about the resurrection. That's why I'm here. And then Felix uh, goes on and he does this thing where he's like, hey, when Claudius, he kind of puts him off. When Claudius Lysias comes, comes from uh, Jerusalem, then, then I'll try you. I don't know if he never invited Claudius, but it kind of feels like that since two years passed and never did this happen. So that's a flat-out lie, and he's just stalling and wasting time. Uh, but, but he did, but he did, interestingly enough, say, hey, Paul, come talk to me again. Hey, Paul, come talk to me again. So he says, says in there that he often had Paul come and talk to him about the gospel. Why? It says in there, you've read it, right? So it says in there that he had him come because he was hoping that he would bring him some money. Because in Paul's testimony, he said, well, I was bringing alms, right? We had a gift. We were going to give the gift to the church. And so he's like, hey, hey, you stay over there. All your friends could come to visit you. You know, those guys that carry money. And then you come visit me a lot. You get what this going? And if you want to, like, just say, like, you put something in this hand, and I put something in this hand, and we would, like, maybe you could go free, right? Like, this is Felix. So he's so corrupt, and, uh, yeah, everybody knows it, so then he gets thrown out. And then after that, he gets left in prison for two years. And Portius Festus, okay, he comes on the scene, and he's, like, all, like, I'm going to do my job. It's going to be great. And so he goes... Three days to like set up the house and then he goes down to Jerusalem to meet the Jewish leaders and he goes through the whole thing and they're like right on Paul right away. Right? They haven't forgot. Two years they haven't forgot. 
Paul, 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 Paul. All we want to talk about is Paul. He's like, dude, can we just be friends? Paul, 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 right? And so he, they're all over it, and he's like, well, he's not coming down here, but you can come to him because I'm in charge, right? So at least he has a little backbone. And uh, so they're like, all right, we're coming. So they come up, and uh, they say a bunch of, you can look at verse 7, they say a bunch of bad things about Paul, bringing many serious charges against him that could not be proved, that they could not prove. And here's Paul's statement. It's very short. He's gotten better at his speech. It's really short here. He's like, okay, this is, you know, or maybe this is Luke's rendition because it's like, okay, how many, how many times do I have to tell you my story? Right? You want the long version? You want the short version? Here's the two-sentence version, okay? Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. The end. Right? Like, done. Prove it. Right? But Festus, wishing to give favor to the Jews, right, was like, hey, do you want to go up to Jerusalem? Because they'd really like you to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal. Therefore, I ought to be tried right here, right? And to the Jews, I have done no wrong. This is really important. Clear conscience, right? I've done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If I am wrong, a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. That's her statement, isn't it? I'm ready to suffer and die for Jesus. This is, this is Paul's testimony. I'm willing, I'm ready to suffer, and if I need to, even to die for the name of Christ. I'm not running from that. It's all about Christ. I love that, how he says that. But if there's nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up. I appeal to Caesar. And so to Caesar, he's going to go. I think God used it, this appeal to get him there. Had he not appealed, he probably would have just been set free and maybe killed anyway. So it's kind of interesting how God works all things together. Just look at verse 27 of chapter 25, because this is kind of like where I'm getting all the uh, stuff from here. Um, for it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So he says, hey, uh, King Herod or uh, uh, Agrippa, Herod Agrippa uh, and Bernice, they come. I don't want to talk about that. That's really nasty. So if you read a commentary on that, I'm sorry. Like th they're brother and sister, but they're together. That's called incest. I don't know if that's very cool. All right. It's not. All right. But keep on going. But but in verse 25, he says, I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And so then he goes in verse 27, he says, well, it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner to Caesar. OK, I could lose my job not to indicate the charges against him. I think it's unreasonable that you're holding a prisoner you don't have a charge against for two years, right? I mean, just come on. We live in an unreasonable world, right? There's not a lot of reason in this world. People don't want to hear the truth. Whatever truth they have, that's their truth. That's unreasonable. It's just crazy. And so the title of the message today is Persist in the Gospel. And this is the tag, and I just want you to kind of get this now. When unstoppable meets unreasonable, what should I do? We have an unstoppable thing in the gospel. We need to persist in it. But when that unstoppable gospel <laughs> collides with the world we live in, an unreasonable world, what should I do? Good, fair question. 
I want to know. What should I do? Well, that's what chapter 26 is all about. So let's focus on that. There's five things here that we should be doing. Here's the first thing. Remember the resurrection. You have to remember the resurrection. You see how Paul kept bringing it back to the resurrection? Hey, I'm on trial because the resurrection is dead. Hey, it's about the resurrection. Hey, this resurrection. Look at verse um, 4. He's now before Herod Agrippa. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, to admit it, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. I was religious. That's what he's saying. I was religious. And I don't know about you, but that was kind of my testimony. I grew up in the church, and it was kind of like, I'm good. Of course God loves me. Why shouldn't he love me? I'm better than everybody else. I grew up in the church. That's religious. Be careful with that, right? And Paul's telling his testimony. He's saying, like, yeah, I was a Pharisee. I was the best of the best. I, I mean, I was awesome. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to the fathers to which the 12 tribes hope to maintain, hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. I mean, he's like, hey, the Jews are trying. They're like worshiping. They're, they're trying to get closer to God. They're like all in it. Know any people like that? Maybe you came to church today like that. And again, no offense, I'm not, no, no offense here, but like, how many times have we gone to church to go to church, right? Not to worship Jesus, not to talk about the resurrection, not to get on the thing that matters most, but just to do the thing that will make us look good before everybody else. Everybody else in my small group will be off my back if I go to church, right? Everybody else will think I'm good if I go to church. I'm good because of my religion, because of my upbringing. I was baptized when I was a baby. I was confirmed when I was 12. I go to church. I give. I serve. I, 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 I. I'm a Pharisee. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I think that's most churchgoers' story. Until they get a different story, which is the story, right? And so he says... This hope, this hope, this promise, this, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? And so I pose that question to you. Why would anybody in the audience today feel like it's incredible that God raises the dead? God created the world. God created you and me. God can raise the dead. If he can create, he can raise what he created. That's what God can do. And he's the only one that can do it. So why is that incredible? It's not. And so he's stating that the resurrection needs to be remembered. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything. Have you watched the movie, The Case for Christ? Anybody? I've seen it. you got to go see this movie. Everything hinges on it. 
That's the thing that turned Lee Strobel's mind, right? You can go read the book. You can watch the movie. I think it'll come out on DVD or something. It's great. Have your friends watch it with you. It's really well done. Everything hinges on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 and 4 says this, Paul writing later, For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, I said later, now, he had already written this before this time and period of history. I'm just saying later in the New Testament. I want to be clear on that, okay? Just so I'm not confusing you. Paul had already written this to the Corinthians before he ever stood up for the gospel again and again and again and again. And he was so clear on the gospel. You know what the gospel is? Jesus Christ came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. That's the gospel. Let's get our finger right on that. Let's remember the resurrection. So how do we remember the resurrection? Maybe, uh, you know, he's preaching from the Old Testament. Where do you find it in the Old Testament? Job 19, 25 through 27. Daniel 12, verse 2. References to the resurrection. Okay? These are good things. He's probably preaching from this part, right? But how do we remember the resurrection? Come on, tell me. Easter Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. We remember on Easter Sunday. I remember it was just a few weeks ago. Easter Sunday. Why do we call it Easter Sunday? Hashtag Easter at Harvest. Why? Because that's what the world recognizes it as. It's not Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. It will and always will be Resurrection Sunday. That's the day Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Do you get it? But Resurrection Sunday is every Sunday. It's not special to come to church on Easter. <laughs> every day is Resurrection Day. People are living in Christ daily, right? We have to remember the resurrection. So how do we remember the resurrection? Well, we take communion, right? So ushers, come on. Let's take communion, okay? I'm going to ask you to hold this in your hands when they hand it out to you, and, and we're going to preach one more point, and then we're going to take communion together, okay? You guys good with that? We remember the resurrection. That's part of persisting in the gospel. We do this time in, time out. We did this before. I took my first communion. Aren't I special? No, no. It, that doesn't make you special, all right? I'm hoping that maybe even today you would take first communion being saved as a believer in Jesus Christ knowing that it's not your good works that save you, but it's His blood that pays for your sin. I'll keep on. Communion, what a great picture to remember the resurrection. The second thing, repent when I'm wrong. Repent when I'm wrong. Paul does that. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. What? <laughs> and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the high priests, the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them 
often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. Paul literally was trying to make them repent, recant of their testimony of Jesus. He's not good. He didn't raise from the dead. He's not yours. Say it's not real. How come every time a Christian gets killed, right? It's like that. From a beach in, you know, the Middle East to a high school in America. When somebody wants to kill a Christian, the first question they're going to ask him is, do you believe in Jesus, right? Tell me you don't believe in Jesus. Part of this series is to get you ready to answer that question. But I'm telling you, nothing I can do will get you ready for that question. I hope you understand that. Nothing I can do is getting you ready for that. You know what's ready for that? The Holy Spirit inside you. You will deny anything that's not inside of you. But what's inside of you, you will not deny. If the Holy Spirit's residing in you, when that moment comes where somebody holds a gun to your head and says, hey, do you believe? You won't deny, but you will confess that Jesus is Lord. I love that. I tried to get him to blaspheme. I tried to get him to deny it. In, and in raging fury. It'd be one thing if it was like raging. It'd be another thing if it was fury. But raging fury, man, this is like boiling over, right? I think of uh, sometimes at our house, the pot uh, boils over the stove. And that's a big problem because then I mess up the stove and then my wife's all over me. Sorry, honey. Um, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, right? It's like raging, like boiling up. In raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. What's Paul doing here? What's he doing? He's admitting wrong. I thought I was right, but I was wrong. Right? My pastor said if I got baptized as an infant, well, I couldn't even, I didn't understand that part because I wasn't really there, but like, I was there, but not, I don't remember. I don't know. But my pastor told me, right, that I'd be saved if I said this catechism. But my pastor told me that if I, you fill in the blank. If I was good, that's what I was told. If I was good, if I just came to church, if I just did good, I'd be saved. Because I'd be better than other people. What is he admitting? He's admitting he's wrong. He's repenting when he's wrong. I didn't know it at the time, but I was wrong. And now knowing I'm wrong, I repent. Look at a follow-up to the verse we just read, 1 Corinthians 15, 8-10. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is again Paul writing this. Jesus appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Well, that's funny because didn't he just say in uh, last week in verses 23, 1, he said, I have a good conscience. And then this week in 24, 16, I wrote, read, read that he said he had a clear conscience before God and man. And then in verse 20, uh, chapter 25, verses 10 and 11, he said, there's no wrong I've done against the Jews. So which is it? Does he have a clear conscience or is he a sinner? Yep. Washed by the blood. Hey, am I feeling good about this or what? He says, I am unworthy 
to be called an apostle. This is a guy that wrote, wrote most of the New Testament. I am the least of the apostles. How can he say that and be who he is? How can we say we stink again and know who we are in Christ? I am a blood-bought follower of Jesus Christ. I am going to heaven. Take me out now. I know where I'm going. And yet today again, I go, God, why do I do the things I do? Do you understand? Communion is a necessary thing. Repentance is a daily thing. I'm in the ditch again. I need to get out. It's not for lack of the Holy Spirit in me. <laughs> it's a lack of me letting the Holy Spirit do what I'm supposed to do. Because I persecuted the church of God. Right? We all have our own sins. And we've recounted them now. Hopefully they're going in your head and we're repenting of our wrong. But I want you to get this last phrase. It's really important. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That is one of the most precious sentences in all of Scripture. By the grace of God, I am what I am. God's grace. My faith. Right? God's grace activates my faith. And I say, I believe Jesus Christ died and that he rose from the dead. And I believe that his body was broken for me. And I believe that his blood was spilled for me. And it is covering me. So with that in mind, his body broken for us. This do in remembrance of him. His blood. I mean, this, that grace brings emotion, doesn't it? His blood spilled to save me, to wash my sin away. This is part of the gospel. I repent, right? This do in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we don't compare ourselves to one another, but that we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. And even though I don't add up to that perfect standard, yet I am covered with the blood of Jesus Christ as I confess and repent again today. You are Lord and you alone. Thank you in Jesus name. Amen. One, we need to remember the resurrection. That's a key to persisting in the gospel. Two, we need to repent when we're wrong. And three, retell my God story. You're going to be like so sick of me saying this. Ten year, I bet you he's going to pull out the 10-year vision. Well, there it is in my Bible. I didn't give one away this week. There it is. 10-year vision. What's the number one thing? Write out your God story and be able to articulate it in five minutes. How many times have I told you my story... If you've been coming to this church a while, you've heard my story many times. You're like, dude, I already heard that. Thanks. Appreciate it. Right? You're probably sick of hearing it. I get sick of telling it. Except for to those that haven't heard it. Then I'm like, oh, I want to tell them. But the elders stood up here, and didn't they share their testimony a couple weeks ago? All five of us, and just boom, boom, boom. So you probably got it all memorized then, right? You know what they said? Yeah, yeah, you do. No. It's like, I want to hear that again. 
Tell me about Ed and that firefighting thing. Can you go a little deeper on that, Ed? Because I didn't know you were a firefighter. That's what I was thinking when I read it. You know? Just telling you. I don't have anybody's story on lockdown. Maybe my wife and my kids. I don't have anybody's story on lockdown. Matter of fact, sometimes I'll come to an interview, membership interview or something like that, a baptism interview. I'll be like, tell me your story. I know you told me before, but tell me your story again. Refresh my memory. I've heard so many of them, right? Sometimes it's hard to remember. Which is why at Harvest, when you want to be, just, just, just write out your testimony. It's going to save you so much time, right? Just write out your testimony. Get it on a one-page piece of paper, Word doc, and just Hit print like four times because here's why. So baptism testimony, that's it. You just hand that in, that's it. That's the application for being baptized. Boom, there it is, right? What about membership app? Oh, I got to write out my story. Why do you make me write out my story again? Like just print the paper. Hit print, hit print, right? Like the same thing. I want to be a member. What's your story, all right? And then it's like, oh, well, I want to work in children's ministry. I know you all want to work in children's ministry. This is a time of year where people, like, don't want to work in children's ministry because they've been doing it. Their commitment started in August, and it goes all the way through, you know? And they're like, oh, this is so hard. You know what? Kids need to be discipled. And there's some people sitting in this room that need to go disciple them. Am I being clear? Is your pastor being clear with you? You have an opportunity to serve. If you're not serving, why not? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to give you an opportunity. So print out the application, and attach your testimony, and boom, you're in, right? I mean, there it is. It's not hard. We make it so simple, except for you have like four different applications, because if you want to serve in uh, worship ministry, which we want you to serve in worship ministry, right? We need a drummer right now. We need, you know, musicians, all this stuff. Like, you, you look up here, and you're like, oh, we got tons of talent and tons of musicians. Dude, we want you to use your gift. So if you have a gift in worship ministry... Great, let's go. Fill out the application. Guess what's in the application? What's your testimony? All right, I belabor it enough. Didn't I tell you I needed not to go so long on this? We, we had this talk in between services. <laughs> like, don't spend so much time on this. We've already beat this thing up. Retell your God story. In season, out of season. Be ready to give an answer, right? First Peter 3. Give a defense. Because your story is powerful, we must persist in telling our God story. We have to tell it again and again and again. And that's persisting in the gospel. Then there's this. Refer to the name of Jesus. Now, Paul has told his story. I'm not going to read it for you. It's like um, he's on the road to Damascus and all this stuff. And it's like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's like, dude, I thought I was cool with you. Except I didn't think you were God because you're Jesus. I don't know. I'm confused. And he's, what does he do? 180, right? I mean, if Paul's life doesn't represent what we should be, I don't know what life does. I was walking along thinking I was too sexy for my shirt, right? And then God dropped a boulder on me, or Jesus Christ just burned my eyes out with a sun, uh, with a light greater than the sun. It was midday, right? You read this, right? midday like noon light brighter than noon sun it's like you could never look up at yeah anyway you get it all right and 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 god drops a boulder on you and you're like help 
And he says, who are you, Lord? And God says, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Stop it. Stop going against me. It'll be easier for you if you go with me. I want to use you. Rise, stand up on your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose. Oh, I want to know. To appoint you as a servant. Seems like Paul was a leader. Yeah, servant leader. And to a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I uh, will appear to you. Because he, remember, he came back to him several times and appeared to him. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes. That's what I'm trying to do today is I'm trying to open your eyes that this isn't a religion. The gospel is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The only thing I bring to the table is sin. And Jesus takes it on his back. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God in him. Amen. So that they may turn from darkness to light. Do you notice how he said darkness there? Do you notice how he equated religiosity and religion to darkness? Turn to the light. It gets worse. And from the power of Satan to God. Do you notice how he said that the power of Satan is religion? And that Jesus in a relationship with Jesus is God? Just think about this. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and uh, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I think the gospel is pretty clear. But I want you to see something here in the text. It always refers to the name of Jesus. When dealing with the gospel, it's always referring to the name of Jesus. Not to Muhammad. Not to the Pope. Not to Martin Luther. Not to just come up with a name. I came up with those three. They're not written in my notes. If I offended you, I'm sorry. But it's the name of Jesus. It keeps referring back to the name of Jesus. That's the fourth thing. There's power in the name of Jesus. In Acts 2.38, what do he say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. What did he say in the next chapter? In chapter 3, verse 6, he says, But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Right? What did he say in chapter 4, verse 12? And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name is Jesus. He keeps referring to it. He keeps coming back to it. Jesus, why Jesus? Maybe you should look back at Acts and all we've studied and just highlight the name of Jesus and all the things that Jesus has done for us. That'd be good. But why the name of Jesus? Why not some other name? Because nobody's done for you what Jesus has done for you. Jesus has done more for you than anyone else in all of eternity. Could you tell me some of the things Jesus has done for you? Could you just recount them quickly? Go ahead. What are some things Jesus has done for you? Give them to me. 
Freedom. Healing. He brought healing. Make it personal now. What has Jesus done for you? Yeah. Great. Unashamed. Come on. Not everybody at once. Like Jesus has done so much for us. We could just flood this room with it. Let's go. Let's do it. Joy. Peace. Hope. What else? Love. Yeah. Jesus has given us so much. Come on. What do you got? Provision. A house. Forgiveness. Dreams and visions. Okay, great. Okay, servanthood. Purpose. He's given me strength in the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? He's given me new life. He's given me so much. I mean, I could go on and on for days and days about all the things that Jesus Christ has given me. I think it's good for us to name those things. And not just here in church. I was surprised in first service and again in second service how hard it was for people to name something about Jesus. And I just, I said it in first service. Again, it's not in my notes, but I'll say it again because it's, it's odd to me. If nothing comes to your mind quickly about what Jesus has done for you, then be careful that you're not serving a religion. Be careful. Right? Because this is a big decision this gospel and we want to get this right if nothing's coming to mind really easily then maybe jesus hasn't done anything for you and maybe you need today for him to do the thing he says he will do and that is save you from yourself from your sin from everything jesus has done so much how often do we use the name of jesus and i don't mean in vain Are we bringing him up in conversation with our neighbor? Are we bringing him up? We're not trying to bruise the fruit. I've already preached on that. But are we bringing him up in conversation? Is it a real person that we're talking about often to our coworkers, to our wife, to our kids, wherever we're at? Is he coming up? Are we talking about him? What he did for me? I owe him everything. Again, this is the gospel, and we must persist in it. We need to refer to the name of Jesus. Let's not be scared to refer to the name of the person who changed our life radically and brought me from addiction to freedom, who brought me from sin, mire, pit, to heaven, eternal life, walking in his strength. That's crazy. Got so much to say about Jesus, i got to keep going. This last thing, remain faithful to the mission. So remember the resurrection, repent when I'm wrong, retell my God story, refer to the name of Jesus often, and remain faithful to the mission. Now, if you've read this, and as I have so many times this week, you know, Paul's not really even making a defense anymore. You know what he's doing? He's preaching the gospel. He's not like, you know what? Yeah, you know, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. He's like, let me put it to you straight. Here's why I'm here. I saw Jesus. It changed my life. And let's just go with that. 
So look at verse uh, 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, I mean right away, <laughs> then to Jerusalem, and then throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles. Man, I've been all over. Three missionary journeys. That they should repent and turn to God. I think I've been on that theme today. <laughs> Performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple. That's why I'm here. And tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that is from God. And so I stand here to testify both to small and to great. He must have had a smirk on his face when he said that. Because when he was saying that, with all the pomp and circumstance that they came in with, you might think he was talking great as in them and small as in him. But I think eternally perspective, it would have been reversed. Let's keep that in mind as we live in this world and go, why, are, why can't we have fun? What? What? Who's great and who's small? Just think about where you're at. Saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Again, Isaiah 53 and you know, Psalm 16 talk about this the suffering Messiah, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, let's remember the resurrection, he, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. How come every time Paul gets to the Gentiles in his speech, somebody breaks out, right? Then he get like trampled on by the Jews when he said Gentiles, and now he has a Gentile and he's going to get thrown under the bus right here, right now. You watch this. He goes, and to the Gentiles, and he's like, here it comes. And he was saying these things in his defense. Festus said with a loud voice, I'd like to act this out. Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. You're crazy, bro. You are mad. Now just think about that. If he was really crazy, if he was really mad, what would have happened? Festus is the governor. Guys with white coats are coming in. No, it, it's back in that day. So the guards would come in, right? The guards would come in. They would take him. They would, if he was mad, I mean, he's not going to Nero anymore. He's not going to see Caesar anymore. You're not sending a madman to Caesar. You lose your job for that, even though Nero's a madman. <laughs> like, do you understand? Like, he doesn't really believe what he's saying. So what's happening? Let's just be clear what's happening. He's under conviction. He's under conviction of the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't like the weight. And so what does he do? He puts it off. He avoids. He avoids the decision to follow Christ. You're mad. Now maybe you're sitting here and you're listening to me about this religion and this relationship, and you're like, you're mad, Steve. I'm saved. You have no idea. You're a madman. Okay, I'm mad. And so is Paul. Read 1 Corinthians 15. Right? It says, if the resurrection didn't happen, if this isn't how we really got saved, then we are of all people most pitied. Because we are so messed up. We are staking everything on this one thing. That Jesus Christ died and rose again. I'm not mad you might be avoiding the conviction of the Holy Spirit 
And then you have Agrippa. <laughs> In his response, Paul forces Agrippa to take a stand. So here's what he says. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent. Fe- I love that. Like, I'm not out of my mind and you're still excellent. All right, it's all good. We're cool? All right. But I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, and I would just add lovingly, because when we speak boldly, we speak lovingly. I don't hate you if you're religious. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I want you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Jesus isn't hiding out. Number one, book ever written number one copies sold it's the bible jesus isn't hanging out right ever acknowledge jesus is the real thing wasn't done in a corner first corinthians 15 i've referenced it several times i think you should read it uh in between the spaces of the verse i read today is 500 witnesses see him not done in a corner they could have easily refuted this he could have said that didn't happen but they don't say that because it did happen and they all knew it he could have been killed for telling a lie. He, did, he wasn't killed for telling a lie because he wasn't lying. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Do you believe the Old Testament, what I'm stating to you about the resurrection and the suffering of Christ? That he's the Messiah? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, so Paul's forcing Agrippa to take a stand. And Agrippa's not going to take a stand. Instead, he's going to elude the question, do you believe? And the dilemma that it presents, if I say that I believe the Old Testament to prophets, if I say that I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then my life has to change. And I don't want to change. I want to be who I am. I want to call the shots in my life. I like being religious. I like being a Jew. I like being a churchgoer. I don't want to be completely surrendered. And he adopted a superior attitude in a belittle, <laughs> he belittled Paul's witness. Man, I wish I had a dollar for every time that happened in our church, where somebody's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're screwed up. Your testimony's wrong. Like, just like, okay, whatever. He says, in a short time, with so few words, would you persuade me to be a Christian? You think you got this? No, I don't think I got this, Paul said. He says in the most loving way possible. Nothing moved Paul off the mission. Nothing. That's the point. Remain faithful to the mission. The mission is go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's the mission. Nothing would move Paul off the mission. So in verse 29, look what he says. And Paul said, whether in a short time, whether today, church, or whether a long time, whether it takes you several weeks or maybe years to come to grips with what I'm saying today, I would to God that not only you, but that also all who hear me this day or online might become such as I am. Remember the phrase before? By the grace of God, I am what I am. Such as I am, a sinner saved by grace. 
I can say I have a clear conscience before God and that I'm going to look him in the face one day and not be burned to shreds because of the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed me clean. I'm looking forward to that day. How tender and how compassionate Paul was and we need to be with the world as we share the gospel. He says, except for these chains. I don't want you to have to suffer. I don't want you to have to die. I don't want you to be locked up. I don't want you to feel like you're in prison. So if living for Christ feels like that, don't commit to him. But I'm telling you this. When you understand all that Jesus Christ has done for you and all that he is going to continue to do for you, that it is eternal, you will get on your knees and you will turn to him as God and very God, the God that created the universe and the God that made you, gave you the choice. He gave you intellect, emotion, will. He gave you a spirit. You're not an animal. You're a living being made in his own image. And he has given you the choice because he didn't want robots. He wanted people made in his own image. And you have a choice to decide or not to decide for Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing it is to have the opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior today, right? What a wonderful opportunity. So as I close in prayer, I wonder if you might take that opportunity. Fred, I know you got saved the other day. I'm not talking to you, man. You know what I mean? But there are people in this church, they don't know. And sometimes they don't know that they don't know. So let's pray for them. God, as believers in Jesus Christ, we pray and we ask that you would open up the eyes of the blind, that you would help people turn from darkness, even religiosity, to light, that you would take people from the power of Satan and so many false religions and so many things that people have said about how we should get to heaven. (laughs) We don't get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So, Father, bring us to the truth of your word. Help us to persist in the gospel again and again and again. I just think to myself, Lord, how many times do I need to remember the resurrection? How many times do I need to repent when I'm wrong? How many times do I need to retell my God story? How many times do I need to refer to the name of Jesus? How many times do I need to remain faithful to the mission? And I feel you saying in my spirit again today, God, Again, 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 again. Again today and again every day. So God, please. Help the Spirit in me and the Spirit in the people here to be shouting that same thing. To be committing again to the work of God in their heart, in their life. To never lose sight of the gospel. It's this we persist in. It's this that makes us unstoppable, even in an unreasonable world. Help us to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen.